What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Top 5 at 5 with your host, Johnny Quest. Today is Wednesday, September 16th. Here's what you missed while trying to get Despacito out of your head yet again. Thanks, Uncle Joe. We start today with this blistering report from the House on the Boeing 737 MAX and the failings of Boeing staff, management, and the FAA. In short, quote, it was a perfect storm of shit where everyone made deadly mistakes. So, yeah, if you recall back in October of 2018, Lion Air Flight 610 crashed near Indonesia, killing all 189 people aboard. A few months later, in March of 2019, Ethiopian Airlines Flight 302 crashed, killing all 157 people aboard. Just five months apart. The new report from the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee laid out flat, quote, the max crashes were not the result of a singular failure, technical mistake, or mismanaged event. They were the horrific culmination of a series of faulty technical assumptions by Boeing's engineers, a lack of transparency on the part of Boeing management, and grossly insufficient oversight by the FAA. Boeing made fundamentally faulty assumptions about critical technologies on the 737 MAX. It also expected that pilots who were largely unaware that the MCAS system existed would be able to mitigate any potential malfunction, end quote. Yeah, the MCAS system was built to force the nose of the plane down to overcompensate for engines that were just too large for this size of an aircraft. It was triggered by a single sensor, and when pilots couldn't get out of it or realize what was happening, the plane just went straight into the the ground. Boeing employees knew it was faulty and had doubts about the approval process. Quote, in one particularly damning email from April of 2017, a Boeing employee wrote, this airplane is designed by clowns who in turn are supervised by monkeys. End quote. Wow. A lot of the problems also stemmed from the FAA just really kind of letting Boeing run with scissors. Quote, our report lays out disturbing revelations about how Boeing, under pressure to compete with Airbus and and deliver profits for Wall Street, escaped scrutiny from the FAA, withheld critical information from pilots, and ultimately put planes into service that killed 346 innocent people. What's particularly infuriating is how Boeing and FAA both gambled with public safety in the critical time period between the two crashes, end quote. And the FAA is reportedly going to let them fly this plane again this year, unless this report changes anything. Now, they they might change the name of the plane since it's pretty much tied to death in the skies right now, but it's still the same engineering concept with just more safety measures added and more training provided. Color me skeptical. I don't think that plane should have ever been built, flown, or should ever fly again. Japan has a new prime minister today. For the first time in eight years, Shinzo Abe is no longer in charge, but his right-hand man, Yoshihide Suga, takes over. Abe was suffering from ill health in recent years and decided to step down. The Japanese parliament voted in Suga yesterday, but it seems like we should just expect everything to continue as it was, with more than half of the Abe cabinet remaining. Suga is still expected to also continue the Abenomics economic policies 
policies of deregulation and streamlining bureaucracy. Of course, the vid and the economic collapse due to it are still the number one priorities. Quote, Suga, who won a ruling Liberal Democratic Party leadership race by a landslide on Monday, faces a plethora of challenges, including tackling COVID-19 while reviving a battered economy and dealing with a rapidly aging society. With little direct diplomatic experience, Suga must also cope with an intensifying U.S.-China confrontation, build ties with the winner of the November 3rd U.S. presidential election, and try to keep Japan's own relations with Beijing on track. All right, there's this startup that I learned about today that I thought was pretty interesting and wanted to share with y'all. It's called Hefa, J-E-F-A, and they're building what's called a challenger bank or a smaller niche bank that competes directly with the big guns. Hefa is aimed specifically at women in Latin America. They focus on resolving some of the challenges that women face when trying to open a bank account. This quote really blew me away. There are 1.4 billion people in the world without a bank account. Out of those 1.4 billion, nearly 1.3 billion are women founder and CEO Emma Smith said. Now, Hefa's system is built around the main reasons women in Latin America are either unsatisfied with or just don't have a bank account. Quote, for instance, banks often ask you to hold a minimum balance, even though women statistically earn less than men. Banks tell you to come to a branch to open an account, even though many families only have one car and taking the bus can be a hassle. Banks have overly confusing products and don't invest in marketing channels for women. It's for all those reasons that we thought we needed a fully digital solution that is branchless, Smith said. We have no minimum balance requirement. All you need is a government-issued ID, and you can sign up in three or four minutes. There will be a reward program as well called It Pays to Be a Woman. And based on your purchases, you'll earn points on hygiene products, going to the gynecologist, and more, end quote. They're also adding a credit building platform. There's a soft color palette as well and an easy-to-use interface that puts the information that you need front and center. They're launching in Costa Rica and Guatemala at first and already have 50,000 people on the waiting list. So what do you think about this? Were you as surprised as I was to find out how many women in the world don't have banking accounts? Should the big banks just do better or are these challenger banks needed to help push them forward? Would love to hear your thoughts. You know how to reach me at Johnny Quest everywhere. OC7, excuse me, Facebook Connect 7 took place this afternoon. Yep, another tech show and keynote announcement. And while it's hard to look at the Zuck's face for too long, they announced some pretty interesting things for the world of virtual and augmented reality. This biggest update this year is the launch of a new headset, the Oculus Quest 2. Not only is the screen inside better, that's right, just screen, only one panel now, but it's also a smaller headset, it's lighter, it's faster, and it's more powerful. And best of all, they dropped the price by $100. So now the Oculus Quest 2 is just $299. After they killed off the $199 Oculus Go earlier this year, they also announced today that the Oculus Rift was going to be no more. And the Quest is the only device that they'll sell. The Oculus Rift, if you recall, was the PC-based VR headset. So I guess they've just given that over to HTC Vive. Facebook also announced something that they're calling Infinite 
office. So with this feature, you can work across multiple customizable screens, kind of like having multiple monitors on your desk, but in VR. It even shows the pass-through camera footage, so you can still interact with the real world, although that's all black and white slash infrared colors. They even let you connect some Logitech keyboards, so you can type on a physical surface that interacts with that whole VR world. Sounds pretty interesting to get work done. I've wanted these kind of features for a while. And lastly, they announced Project Aria and showed off a prototype research unit. Now, Aria is a set of AR or augmented reality glasses. So this is used to overlay 3D information on the world that you physically see. They're still very early on in research and they don't have an actual product here, but they're going to have about 200 Facebook engineers walking around California sporting these things and gathering more information to make it better. It's all pretty interesting to see where they're headed with this. They're definitely doing some serious work in that effort to keep everyone connected no matter where you may physically find yourself. You ever walk through an airport duty-free shop and thought, why didn't I think of this? Feels like they almost force you to walk through many of them and you typically walk out with something. Well, Chuck Feeney and Robert Miller did it first back in 1960 and they amassed a giant fortune with the duty-free international shops, like billions. But Chuck Feeney was really just a bright-eyed entrepreneur. He didn't really care for all that cash. So he decided, hey, since you can't take it with you, why not give it all away? Quote, over the the last four decades, Feeney has donated more than $8 billion to charities, universities, and foundations worldwide through his foundation, the Atlantic Philanthropies. When we first met him in 2012, he estimated he set aside about $2 million for he and his wife's retirement. In other words, he's given away 375,000% more money than his current net worth. And he gave it away anonymously. While most wealthy philanthropists enlist an army of publicists to trump at their donations, Feeney went to great lengths to keep his gifts secret. Because of his clandestine, globe-trotting philanthropy campaign, Forbes called him the James Bond of philanthropy, end quote. So where'd all the money go? Well, $3.7 billion went towards education, including almost $1 billion to his alma mater, Cornell, which he attended on the GI Bill. Wonder if he knew the Nard Dog. More than $870 million went to human rights and social social change, like $62 million in grants to abolish the death penalty in the U.S., and $76 million for grassroots campaigns supporting the passage of Obamacare. He gave more than $700 million in gifts to health, ranging from a $270 million grant to improve public health care in Vietnam to a $176 million gift to the Global Brain Health Institute at the University of California, San Francisco. One of Feeney's final gifts was a $350 million gift for Cornell to build a technology campus on New York City's Roosevelt Island. Honestly, I feel like we need more billionaires to act like Chuck. Make that dough, then spread the wealth. Uplift humanity all together, and we all come along on the ride too. Well, my beautiful people, those are my top five news stories of the day. And for those of you that like to stick around for the bonus news, here we go. What's the first thing that I found out about? Yingling signed a deal with Molson Coors, and they're going to start heading out west. 
yeah, they're finally going to be sold outside of just the East Coast, which is pretty good. And I'm sure they made a big chunk of change there. Wonder if I'll ever get them to the lake house now. Sony is having a PlayStation 5 event that's happening like right now as I'm recording. So I'll, I'll talk about it tomorrow or you can look up some highlights on YouTube tonight. GoPro, for those of you that like GoPros, they just dropped a brand new one, the Hero 9 Black for 450. And the big advance here is it's finally got a screen on the front. So when you're framing your shots, you don't have to keep going around to the back to see what it's looking at. That should be pretty cool. Uh, let's see what else here. Uh, there was a town hall yesterday that Trump had. And in it, he tried to say that he actually upplayed the virus, not that he downplayed it. As if that's even a word? I, I don't even know what that means. He he upplayed it? That he did the best that he possibly could? That he couldn't have done any better? Get the freak out of here, dude. Anyways, um, yeah, that's what I got for today. Happy hump day. And as always, remember, stay focused, stay proud, stay dedicated in all you do. Dodge the rest and catch up with me because I got you with the news.